Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right, tons of people take a multivitamin, and it's important to choose one that's top quality. With one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help start your day right. It's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially during cold and flu season. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a a million different pills and, and supplements to look out for your health. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. That's a difficult sentence to read. I'm not going to lie. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash sportsdrink. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash sportsdrink to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. I'm going to die a Pelicans fan because that bitch got New Orleans in front of me. Gentlemen, fresh off the end of a very good homestand for the New Orleans Pelicans. This is another edition of the Bird Calls. I am David Grubb, your host, along with Kevin Barrios, David Fisher, and our editor-in-chief at thebirdrights.com, the one and only Mr. Ali Cosell. Gentlemen, we are back, all four of us. The last time we were without Kevin, but now he is back amongst us. We had to sub him out for a Jamal. Um, but Kevin, I'm going to let you have the first one since you weren't here. Um, two and one homestand. The Pels get arguably the biggest win that they've gotten since the last, you know, the closing win of the Portland series. And uh, uh, they are currently sitting squarely in that ninth position in the Western Conference. How does it feel to be a Pelicans fan on March 28th? It feels great. I mean, like I said, uh, we're playing fun basketball. That's the main thing. I mean, last night didn't start super fun, but it was a game where I I kind of just had the feeling that, like, once they get past some jitters, they were going to turn it around. I didn't necessarily know that we'd be able to come back and win like we did, uh, but it didn't make me want to turn off the game, even being down 20 like that. Um, you just had sort of like a feeling, but – you know, I mean, obviously the Spurs loss was a bit of a disappointment. However, you know, if you look at what works best for this team, that was actually maybe beneficial. Fish can go into that more. He's good at breaking down what actually is beneficial for us and not. Um, but yeah, I mean, you got to feel great. You see these young guys playing, you see BI come back, gutting it out, uh, having a great game, didn't have to have an adjustment period. Uh, you know, just came right back in, locked in. Um, you know, Herb and Jose and, and Trey have been just so fun this season, and they had all had great moments in these last three games. 
Um, so it's, it's a joy to see. And then we got to see Larry Nance and what he can bring to this team. Uh, so I'm looking forward to seeing him again in the next game. And uh, yeah, I mean, you feel good about where we're at right now. Um, and it's just fun basketball. And that's the most important thing to me. Yeah. I, and that's why I was thinking of you with this is because you are the most, you know, your thing is the aesthetics of just enjoying basketball. That's what you, mm-hmm. that's what you wanted. And for the years that I've known you, you've just said, man, you know, my 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 standards are not crazy high. I'm not asking for three championships in a row. You say, give me 45, 50 wins a year. Give me some good basketball. Give me a good arena experience. And I'm happy. And we're getting right. very close to that place. It feels like. Yeah. Again, this is one year. We can't jump too far ahead. But in this moment right now, like you said, you're getting pretty much everything you want. Yeah. I mean, even outside of what's happening on the court, you look at, you know, how this, uh, the team and and people involved in the team and marketing of the team are getting into Chris Connors spaces and things like that. And really embracing uh, what's happening in the fan base, trying to hear the fan base and you're seeing changes in the programming and things like that. And then the event I, I had to unfortunately miss because of work, but you guys all attended the uh, fan and media event seemed like it was a great success and super fun. Uh, you know, Chris stayed with me while he was in town. So I heard all about it and how, how, how much of a good experience it was for him. So all of those things be exciting. Uh, so hopefully, you know, that continues to grow. Hopefully we move on from the Bally sports app next season to make it easier for people to watch these games without technical difficulties or they get that sorted out, whatever. Um, but yeah, you know, I feel like we're in a pretty good spot um, uh, with where this team is, especially like it's a drastically better spot than it was at the beginning of last season um, in terms of how things are, are happening and unfolding and the development of this team and the development of an actual culture. Like, you know, I think we all talked about many times about how, when Griffin first got hired, we were hope. Well, I, I think some of you might have not been so much on get rid of Gentry, but how we saw um, value and bringing in a coach sort of of Willie Green's ilk, uh, you know, a young coach that was more of a culture guy than an X's and O's rotation strategic guy to come in and sort of just build that culture from the ground up and then develop some players into a leader. And we've seen that development of Brandon Ingram into a leader. And, you know, Willie Green's done a great job of that. He's had his problems with X's and O's and rotations and things like that, which are to be expected from a first-time coach. Um, But, you know, what you wanted from that coach is to really build a player up that's going to be the face of this franchise, the voice in the locker room. And I feel like we've we've gotten to that point with B.I. and now bringing in the adult like C.J., um, we're in just a great situation in that in that sense. So you got to be happy with uh, with the way things are going. Well, Fish, you were the the king of of media weekend in one regard. You know, just from from Friday on, from Thursday, I guess what was it Thursday or Friday when when this started with you and, and Larry Nance? It was it was Friday because um, I was I, I was already planning on coming down for the media thing, and then. Um, so I was, I was planning on coming down and I tweeted out something, not to Larry, but just to the Pelicans. Like, do you guys have Nance jerseys? Cause 
if I'm coming down and I'm going to be in the arena, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to walk out of that building with Larry Nance Jersey one way or another. Um, and then like, I hadn't even tagged him. And then he's just responded directly back to me that dude, I've known that you have wanted me to come down here for years. You show up and I'm going to give you my Jersey. And it was just, from there, it just snowballed because everyone who follows me and who follows Larry sees that response. And then, like, I hadn't been checking my phone at that point in the, in the afternoon. And then, it, like, it's on fire with mentions because everybody's just like, fish, 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 fish. <laughs> so, no, and I mean, Saturday was great. Like, Kevin, um, Kevin had kind of mentioned he wasn't there, but what he had heard about it. It, it was just great to talk. Um, with fans, with some of the other people that, that cover the team, some of just the other passionate fans. Um, and, I, and quite frankly, look, that was the first time you and I were in the same room. The last time we, you and I were together, were together was pre pandemic. Um, cause, cause we met up at a Pelicans game, I think either 2019. Um, cause I That's remember. That's right. You're yeah. right. Yep. Yeah, but that that was the first time, and and that was that was another thing because I felt like Joel and um, Antonio Daniels are just looking over at us, and we're just shooting the shit like two brothers that just haven't seen each other in years, talking about <laughs> talking about the team and stuff. Um, yeah, and, that was that was that was tough. So, um, but but it was great to to connect with the fans and connect like real handshakes and faces with you know, all these ats that you're familiar with. And I, the, honestly, the biggest shock to me was when I met, met Lito and I had just seen like his, his profile picture. And in my head, he was five foot eight. And then he was six foot five. Yeah, <laughs> it looks like the Marcus cousins. I met him. Yeah. recently. Uh, I, I met him last time Chris was in town and the, yeah, I was like, Whoa, you're a giant. That's like, yeah. are you, I, I thought he was Boogie's little brother or something. I was like, you look so but we weren't, yeah, I we mean, weren't the only ones. I saw that on Twitter too. Some Rel had retweeted out what was it? A friend of hers said that that was the first thing that came to her, and she's like, she doesn't even know basketball players, but she said he looks like the Marcus Cousins. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I mean, and then and then everything with Larry. I had I had great tickets. Um, he had everything taken care of. Um, went essentially backstage afterwards. Uh, met Larry. Um, I, I didn't bring a Sharpie, but he's a true professional. He had a Sharpie with him when he brought it out. He wanted to know, you know, do I want it made it out to anybody? And no, just just sign your name. I haven't figured out what I'm going to do with it yet. You're going to um, frame it. But I'm probably going to frame it. <laughs> um, so did he, did he sign it was, your it, chest? I, what was that? Did he sign your chest? I didn't ask him for that. I, I tried. Gotten to, a tattoo. I really, <laughs> but got the tattoo. When I talked to him, he said that he has seen the Cookie Monster meme for two years. Like yeah. he saw it from the very beginning when he was still in Cleveland, and Cleveland wow. wasn't good two years ago. Because, and I told him I was like, the whole thing was we would talk about what kind of big would be a good third big for the Pelicans, and I always said you want a guy who's going to be able to protect the rim weak side gives you defensive scheme versatility and can rebound the ball. That's Larry Nance and, and guys that might be available. That's Larry Nance. And I think the two games that he has played, he's racked up what, like four blocks in less than 40 minutes. 
Um, and he's, he's, he's already shown everything that, that I thought he was going to bring. Um, and that's, I mean, he's still not a hundred percent yet. Um, um, and, and I think we, if, if anything, over the next couple of weeks, we should, we should expect that it's going to get even better. Yeah, it was, it was great to, to see that interaction. And, um, you know, Ali, you got to see it from the from the full media perspective because you were there for all three games. You were there to watch the crowds. You were there to to see just the the way the team responded each and every night up close. Um, for that, it was this is this was the without a doubt the final. It's the final home stand, but it was the most critical home stand of the season for the Pelicans, who had not done well at home um, over the, the the recent stretches. Um, you know, they had won their last two. Uh, during that mini homestand, but this was this was so necessary. And outside of you know, we could talk about the refs with the Spurs, but there were moments that the Pelicans helped that along too. Um, but again, to rebound the way they did Sunday and come back and play the way they did against the Lakers, to play the way they did on on on, on Thursday, uh, uh, the in the first game of this set, they. They did what they were supposed to do. They engaged defensively. They did all the things. And then from the other perspective, we've, we're watching Willie Green grow up. Yeah. Um, as, first of all, I'll start with talking about what you said about the crowds and stuff. Yeah, that this has been by far, easily, far and away, the uh, most uh, filled Smoothie King Center. Sorry, I've got a dog jumping all over me. <laughs> that we've uh, seen, right? So the noise, I was surprised even for a Thursday, how many people showed up to see the Bulls. And um, it was impressive to see them win, right? Even though I know, you know, they should have because there's no DeMar DeRozan. But I think Chicago is still slated as a favorite. But you know what? The Pelicans played really well that game. Spurs, not so much. You know, for some reason, they don't play their best against San Antonio. And that's going back years. And I can't figure it out. But San Antonio seems to be first to the ball. They just play smarter, right? I mean, I know in the one Pelicans win, they actually did do all the things that they need to, but usually that's not the case, and we saw that on Saturday. So it was disappointing. And I know that they had a chance to win late, but look, when they got down by 10, it required a perfect scenario, right? Something Alvin Gentry always talked about. And so when, you know, CJ missed a three, and then, uh, of course, uh, Jose Alvarado got a three where, you know, maybe he could have gotten to the free throw line on it. There was a few things that just didn't go your way. All those things have to go your way. So that was disappointing. And, of course, jumping into the Lakers game, I mean, you guys wouldn't believe how loud that place was. I wish all you guys could have been there for that game instead of the San Antonio game because whew, there, was a, there was a decent amount of Laker fans, but you couldn't hear them when they were announcing the Lakers starting lineup because they were drowned out by all the booze. So that was great to see. That's something that honestly doesn't normally happen, right? You know how many fans, right, the Lakers or the Warriors bring in. Usually you can hear them pretty loudly, what you couldn't on Sunday, and that was great. So they did what I thought they had to do. I wanted them to win two or three on this homestand. It would have been nice, you know, to guarantee the playing tournament spot to win on the weekend alone. But, hey, maybe it'll work out like Fish has been hammering the point. San Antonio winning while L.A. keeps losing could be the best-case scenario, right? Pelicans still get a playing turn, but they also get the uh, 2022 Lakers first round pick. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, they're strategic losses. And, and again, I think when we all talked about this, when the four of us, the sons, Kevin, when it was Jamal, but we talked about this, nobody said three and O, did we? Did you say three and O, Ollie? 
No, I I didn't. I, I was I said two and one. I think Fish said three and zero. Oh. I might have I, I might have gone that optimistic. Yeah. Well, and, and, like and Grub, you were saying they need to go three and zero. Oh. I, I, I said I, they I, need. I felt like they needed to because I thought it was a t- because of those opponents. Like you had a limping Chicago, and the other two games were teams that are directly in position, but. The way that I think they what I saw in those three games for me, it's like you want the San Antonio game. I told Chris in the first at the end of the first quarter, I said, I don't like this. And they were up 10. But I told Mm -hmm. Chris right then I said, I don't like this. And he said, what are you talking about? And he said, remember, you know, I was like, remember, we were talking about I said, I don't like when the Pelicans come out early and they get stuff and they get rewarded for doing the wrong thing. That's what happened in that first quarter against the Spurs. They got rewarded for playing bad defense because the Spurs got a lot of good looks, but they missed shots. And the Pelicans got rewarded for for fumbling rebounds. Remember how many rebounds they failed secure in that first quarter against the Spurs. And they were getting rewarded. They were still being able to keep the possessions alive and get the points. But in the second quarter, by the end of the half, they're down one. And it was because, you know, those things started to come back and bite them in the ass. The, the Spurs were getting really good shots on every possession. And it didn't matter who it was. If you give NBA players enough good shots, they're going to make them. And that's what the Spurs started doing. So to me, that that first quarter was the signal. But for them to come back the next night, and like you said, to be down the way that they were against the Lakers, even if you know the Lakers shooting was going to come back mm-hmm. and regress at some point, they had to compete through that. And you still had to have that third quarter to get to where you are in the position in the fourth quarter to actually close it out and win that game. So yeah, the, it was remarkable in that regard because I don't think the last home stand, even, you know, a, a month ago, I think they lose that game to the Lakers just a month ago. And they've been playing pretty consistently, but I think they would have lost that game mentally because you see now, I think with Willie's rotations in particular and the use of Jose Moore and the way, and Fish has pointed this out and, and I'll let him certainly go on on this, but the way that Willie changes rotations and, the, and we have some questions that people have noticed too about who he's decided to trust now and the types of players who are getting more of the minutes. And then to watch Willie, and I, and I, I remember I tweeted this during the game when he called that timeout and I've been, I, I saw it right then. I said, he saw what Brandon was doing. He saw B.I. was forcing it, those first two mm-hmm. shots. When he got back into the game against the Lakers, he goes up with that bad three in transition, and then he almost gets a charge. It should have been a charge. But he got they gave him two free throws, and he goes one for two at the line. Call timeout. He didn't miss a shot the rest of the game. Yeah, what was crazy to me, I got to point out, C.J. McCollum was just looking to get to B.I. and let B.I. go one-on-one, basically. And that surprised yeah. the shit out of me. Right, because that's something they don't want to do. That's something you saw at the start of the season. So that blew my mind. But I will say that in that win, and, and this has kind of been generally the case, especially we've got to admit this, David. I know you said that maybe they wouldn't have won this game, say, a couple of weeks ago. I'm not sure. It seems like when they're healthy, look, they're 5-1 and one since the All-Star break when Brandon Ingram's played. This starting lineup, the optimal one, right, without Zion Williamson, they're 5-2 and two together. They're, they're monsters in the third quarter now, and they have been since December, right? Guess who's the best team in the league in net rating since December 1? It's the Pelicans. And that usually means two things. One, you've got pretty darn good players who know that, hey, it's winning time. Number two, you've got coaches who make really good adjustments, and we saw that in the Lakers game. So I don't want to really cut anything too short. I just wish they could stay healthy, right? Because when they're healthy, they have honestly about 11 guys 
they can go to. And Willie can play a lot of different matchups like he did in this Lakers game. He did not play Devontae and Jose. Neither one saw more than five minutes in the second half, and that was the great move. You put length out there. That's something Fish I noticed afterwards. But a month ago, I think, that's the thing, is I think a month ago, Willie does stick with guys. Yeah, okay, from that standpoint. But I was just saying, yeah, but if B.I. and C.J. and Jonas are out there, it's going to be hard to beat the Pels when they got hurt, too, you know? That's all I'm getting. Yeah, but if you're not putting, but it's it's those subtle things that Willie started to trust God and just say, these are my best guys. And yeah, but they've not, had to earn it, right? And Trey and Najee, right. they've earned it. Of late. They had to yeah. earn it, but at the same time, his willingness to say, I don't have to play Devontae down the stretch in f- the last five minutes of a game because mm-hmm. he's the veteran. Whereas mm-hmm. before he might have done that. You know, that's that's my thing. Is like we're watching Willie. Could, and this is what you expect out of a first-year coach. We knew there were going to be bumps along the way. And it seems mm-hmm. that he's the, – the main thing is that he's learning from his – mistakes if that's what we want to call them or just going through that process because even the defensive adjustment of saying okay Herb we're gonna make this real simple you stay with LeBron that's what you do you don't do anything but stay with LeBron and to 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 make the Lakers try to adjust and Frank Vogel did nothing in that situation but you kept doing what he you know he would not change how he was defending that he was going to make the Lakers adjust and they didn't and that was something that maybe again a month ago where the Pelicans could have won it on their talent, maybe, but still, I don't know if they would have made the strategic decisions. I don't know if Willie might have let Brandon try to feel his way out of it. And the next thing you know, it becomes a six nothing Laker run the other way. You know what I mean? So it's those things. And that's a good thing that it's that they're better than they were a month ago in that regard. I, I want to jump in on that because the thing is, is that theft, coaching theft is one of the best forms of flattery. And I think what we saw on Sunday night with how, because you could tell the fact that they had that in the pocket, right? Mm -hmm. Like they had, we're not switching everything anymore. Herb is sticking to LeBron. If they're going to ball screen, we're going to go two to the ball until we can get Herb back in front. All right. So they have that in their pocket. But just like Popovich did to Willie Green on Saturday in the fourth quarter when he said, we're getting the ball to CJ's hands. Mm-hmm. Willie Green took that same lesson that Popovich taught him on Saturday. And he said, I'm going to apply this on Sunday. And I'm not going to apply it the whole game. But on the in the fourth quarter, when them 37-year-old legs are nice and tired, now, now, now you're going to have to deal with the fact that Herb Jones is going to stick to you like flypaper. And it doesn't matter what you guys do. And it was funny because, like, they had two or three chances, trips down the floor, where they tried to set a ball screen, and, mm-hmm. and Herb wasn't going anywhere. He, he's sticking with you. And so, the, like, the third or the fourth trip, they said, okay, we're going to put LeBron in the corner, in the right corner, and we're going to try to do some, like, off ball screen and then maybe we can get herb off of that and it's like no the scheme that willie is running right now the the idea is herb's not leaving lebron james period end of story on ball off ball you're not gonna beat us and then that trip lebron didn't even touch the ball and you could tell he was frustrated and that Mm kind of just snowballed in to you know the end result there but to to have to have that wrench that he's sitting there and he's waiting to throw it in 
to junk up everything for the Lakers. And even with how incredible LeBron was shooting, especially in the first half, he's draining, you know, 30 foot three pointers from the hash mark with a hand in his face. And Willie said, I'm not breaking that out yet because I mean, if, if tonight's going to be like that, why would you use it? But then it came to winning time and he said, all right, we're going to gunk everything up for him. Um, And, you know, theft is the is the one of the greatest forms of flattery and what what I did initially in teaching. And it and and it's the same in coaching. A lot of coaches, they're not coming up with new stuff. They saw somebody else do it and they're stealing it. Yeah, there's no reinvention of the wheel. You know, it's just finding out what works and it's pushing and the I, right button at the right time. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And, and what the Lakers again, I, I called that win 105 adjacent because the only bucket the Lakers made down the stretch was that Malik Monk three that came off of two wild offensive rebounds. So, you know, the Pelicans played immaculate defense down the stretch. The Lakers didn't adjust. And, and, and we give a lot of credit to Herb, absolutely, because, you know, again, career high six steals in that game. But Najee Marshall did his job. Trey Murphy did his job. You know, everybody did their job. Jonas did his job just even by being in the right place at the right time. He didn't have a whole bunch of – you could tell Jonas was tired at the end. He didn't have a whole lot of lift, but he got to the right spots. And so it was just to watch them all maintain their discipline, which is, again, not something that was a hallmark of a Pelicans team not that long ago. But now that's one of the things that we tout every time we talk about this team is that there is a level of consistency there. And that's what the biggest, the hardest thing for them to get to has been is to say there's some consistency. Now, there are still holes. Obviously, the home record could be better. You'd like to see that that elusive five-game win streak. But if they get to the, to the postseason playing like this, then I'll live with that. I'll live with that. It's, it's this season in this context it's hard to be bitchy and complain about the on-court product. Yeah. The, the other thing I would say too about that game is just, you know, as great as Trey was as a scorer, I mean, his rebounding, I know he had that one that he fumbled away, but other than that, he was incredible rebounding. And that's something that we sorely have missed since we lost Josh Hart, a wing player that's out there grabbing boards, getting you extra possessions and ending possessions. Um, so if that can be a consistent thing, because we know, uh, you know, some of our other bigs are um, deficient at rebounding. So having another guy on the, on the wing that can that can get some extra possessions for you or close out possessions is crucial. Um, so he helps fill some of that that we lost in the Josh Hart trade. So that was great to see as well. Ali, on Trey. You know, going back to summer league, we we had always talked about how Trey was so versatile. Fish brought it up. He was late to watch the game, obviously, and he, he we you know he he tweeted that out and talked about those things. But you were on that too when we were in the summer league about that. You know, we talked about Trey Murphy's role not just being a shooter, and we're seeing so much of that from him that he is a finisher, that he is a passer, that he is a defender, that he is a rebounder, that he is capable of doing all these and. He's got a nasty streak, too. Yeah, and I'll tell you what. When people are clamoring for him early in the season, I know you guys wanted to see him start, but after six weeks or so, it was just obvious he was out of his element. I thought he was lacking confidence. I remember saying it at the time because there would be catches, right, within the set offense. He'd get the ball, and if he's got a you know defender right in his face, 
he, he couldn't wait to get rid of the ball. I mean, there were a couple of times where it almost slipped out of his hands and trying to make a pass so quickly. So it was obvious to me that he wasn't ready to play. And I think that was the main reason why Willie pulled him on top of, of course, not understanding all the schemes, right? Especially defensively. But now th this is the guy that, you know, we saw part of it in summer league, but also in Virginia. And this is a guy that can play on both sides of the ball, man. Not only can he light you up from three-point range, and Kevin alluded to the offensive rebounding, but I feel like we've seen that now for a good consistent, what, three or four weeks. So he's going to grab at least a couple, and he's going to out-jump basically everybody's going up for the ball, and chances are he's going to come down with it. So that's impressive. But what I loved in that Lakers game, he put the ball on the ground, and he had this one drive mm -hmm. where he got that and one, you know, the scoop layup. Haven't seen that before out of him. So if that becomes a part of his game, I mean, look out. And I want to say, we, I saw him doing this in uh, five-on-fives before games when he wasn't playing at all. I saw that aggressiveness, that same, you know, look where he was really attacking. Where I think I even told you guys, it seemed like some of the other guys that were on the court with him at the time were kind of floating right through this. I could tell he was given 110, that he was trying to improve, and he was running so many pick-and-rolls, trying to make, like, all the right reads and or get to the rim. I just felt like it was going to come for him. And, and I remember even having a tweet like maybe six weeks ago saying, you know, breakout's going to happen because I had seen him do it like back-to-back -back days. And sure enough, I feel like I saw that last night. And for him to be able to go from where he went from like no confidence to then not playing because of, you know, just almost being a weakness out there to where he is now, that's astounding to me. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know he's, a, you know, 17th round uh, or he's picked seventeenth overall, and he, you know, spent four years in college. But adjusting the NBA level is no joke, right? Grubbed fish. I don't have to tell you, Kevin. Same for him to make this jump and to honestly lead that charge against the Lakers was so impressive. It's going to go such a long way for him, just for the not just for the rest of the year, but for his career. And I'm more hopeful than ever that he's really going to pan out. Yeah, to me, the thing for Trey is he is in a class with other guys like him. Like, you look at this Pelicans yeah. rookie group, and it's all guys who played a lot of college basketball. Mm -hmm. And I think that that helps because they were freshmen who didn't get minutes at one point. You know what I mean? They were – none of these guys were five-star guys. And yeah. I think that you watch Herb have some success. And Trey talked about this. He's like, I'm trying to catch up with Herb, and I'm trying – you watch Herb have success. You watch Jose have success. But it's not either of them failing. You know, at no point do they ever look back and be like, you know, and look away and say, we're leaving Trey behind. It was always the way that they talked about each other was, yeah, it's your turn is coming. Your turn is coming. And they, they would say that to each other. And you saw that kind of mm -hmm. thing that's from the beginning of the season. And I think that when we talked about this team getting more mature, you got this out of the draft because you got experienced collegians who had been through all of their adversity, who had done all the work, who had been guys who they shouldn't be here. Jose shouldn't be here. You know what I mean? Like he's an undrafted 5'9", five, 5'10", five, point guard. He shouldn't be here. Herb is a guy who played in Alabama and was an SEC defensive player of the year. He's not supposed to be there. But there they are. And these guys believe that they belong, but at the same time, they're not arrogant about it. You know, like when you see Jose sign his contract, when you see the way that they rejoice with each other after the game, there is an appreciation. And I'm not going to use the family thing because this is still work. 
but there's an appreciation for that. The fact that they've come in, they've done the work, it's shown the results, and they are getting the support from their co-workers and from the people who are instructing them. And that is really hard to find in any one year. Yeah, David, I just quickly want to say, there's genuine joy for the success of others on this team. Herb is a quiet guy. You guys know that. But he is jumping all around screaming when Trey's making threes or doing something positive or Jose. I mean, it's incredible, just to your point. Yeah, for people that can't see it because they're watching on TV, but if you go to games, you notice those things. And that's something we've never seen here on scene New Orleans. I can't recall last time I saw it. Not yeah, when I mean, it's everybody. At, I mean, you look at at I, I think of it as all four of those guys. I mean, it st- it starts last year with Najee because he was a four year guy at Xavier, mm-hmm. and then you bring in, um, you know, Trey, Herb, mm-hmm. Jose. I mean, you've got you've got four guys now, all young ish, um, and you know, none of them are are picked as high as other guys because they're not you know, super high upside guys because they're not 18. But this is the thing that Grubb always says. You can't, oh, I'm going to draft this guy because of his high upside that he's going to get to in six years. The Pelicans got a whole bunch of guys who can contribute and can contribute now and can contribute for the rest, you know, of their current contracts as role players and and even more than that, especially in Herb's case. Um, But they're ready right now. Like, you don't have to wait. None of those guys are projects. Um, they're they're ready now. They give you NBA minutes now. Like Jose Alvarado, watching him in person and what he's seeing and his manipulation of space and and time in the pick and roll, like you you can't get that from an eighteen year old point guard. You're just not going to get that if 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 you draft somebody who hasn't. Kyra hasn't, hasn't seen all of that. No, like, like, like I, I get like that Kyra has like the bigger upside because he's younger and he's, you know, he's got, he's got greater, you know, potential physical talents, et cetera. But at the same time, like Jose's making it work at five foot 10 and Jose's, you know, he's got between Jose and CJ, this team has real lead guards that, punish you if you play drop they they will finish floaters that you can't just give them that 10 to 15 foot range and say we're just going to live with all those shots because what's happening is they keep on converting and then jose will get in that spot and he waits that extra half a beat he hates he waits that one extra dribble that somebody with less experience doesn't and now you got a dunk for Jackson Hayes, or you got you know uh, a wide open corner three, or the the play where Jonas catches the ball and he's flinging it out to the corner. And Jose, before the before Jonas had caught the ball, Jose's already pointing, get the ball to Trey, and then the pass is a little errant, but it's towards Jose, and just one tap gets it to Trey, and then he buries it. Um, that's the Pelicans have subs- it, you can't even measure how much the basketball IQ has raised on this team in the last 12 months. And the thing is that the, the, the biggest thing that's raising it other than the acquisition of CJ and Jonas are three guys who owe, 
you know, spent a total of what, four, eight, 11 years in college. Mm -hmm. And that's not something you see a lot anymore. And the Pelicans, I mean, especially like the low end of this scouting report, uh, the scouting team and stuff to nail those picks. They're just, they, they've knocked it out of the park um, between Najee, Jose and Herb, especially. And all three of those, and it's not, this is, again, I don't feel like it's taking shots, but we got to be honest here. All three of these guys are farther along this year than any of the rookies taken you know, outside of Zion over the previous two years. Yep. I mean, look, they came, like you said, fish, they came in ready to contribute. They were, and, and the, the instructional curve, which I think is so important here is so much, you know, less steep for them. If you tell Herb something once, he takes it into the next game and he fixes it. If it took a little longer for Trey, but Jose also, again, like you said, that those instincts, the ability to steal these inbounds, the ability to get these deflections, the ability to have all these games where he is affected. When you saw how many NBA players were greeting this dude's contract because they respect his game, not his, just his story. It's, this is not just, this is not a make a wish story. Mm-hmm. This is a guy with legitimate NBA ability and he got what he deserved contractually and other players recognize that that to me is again like you said yeah i couldn't guys, agree more david that's such a great point man great point it's 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 it was key you could not keep drafting kids yeah my favorite was fred van fleet even echoed and guess what he's a self-made guy in the nba yep. who had to go through that crazy ladder to make it in the league yeah i mean that's why you see these guys standing up for herb that's why you see these. I mean, you see NBA players taking time out of their stuff. You saw Donovan Mitchell coming out here talking about these guys. And Donovan Mitchell's out there retweeting Jose Alvarado. Donovan Mitchell don't have to do that. Yeah, so, weeks ago he's praising Herb Jones, right? Yeah, to our, the Pelicans' head coach. Yeah. So you know when you look at the external stuff, and when people have been talking about this year and say the national media does not want to give you anything about these Pelicans, the national media doesn't. Fuck that. Who cares? Who cares? Because that was one of the that was one of the that was one of the best points that Antonio Daniels made is essentially ignore anybody that doesn't have boots on the ground here in New Orleans because they have no idea what's going on. None. There are there are way too many media outlets and and podcasts and people covering who 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 you know understand what's going on in this organization. Um who cares? Kendrick Perkins doesn't know what the Pelican, the Pelicans organization is anymore. None of those guys on first take have any idea. Um, everybody outside of the coast to those guys is just like NBA flyover country. So don't get your information from them because they don't know what they're talking about. Not when and they're talking about. Don't look here. to them for your validation. No. Don't look to them for your validation. Cause I was thinking about this and I, I want to get you guys thoughts on this. But being a fan to me, and and I, you know, I've, I've often said I have to step back from fandom to do the things that I do the way that I do them. But there is, you know, there's you, you guys know we talk about this in our chat that I'm a fan of teams, and but I think the thing about being a fan is, and and I think Kevin embodies this so well too, and I think of Kevin a lot when I think about why I would want to 
if I was going to be, if I, if I still had my fan virginity, you know what I mean? Like if I didn't know how the sausage was made and I could just be a fan again, that that's how I'd want to do it. Where it's, it's about enjoying the experience. Everybody's not going to win the championship. Everybody's not going to win the championship. It's not about those things. And when you watch the Lakers spaces and you hear them and they talk about, they're throwing you their bullshit about, well, we got 17 championships. I'm a Yankee fan. I know the Yankees got 27 world championships, but also over the last 20 years, the Red Sox have more. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I'm a Michigan fan. I know, I know Michigan, how many Big Ten titles Michigan has, but also know they held this. It took them 15 years between the last two. And we took a lot of ass whoopings for Ohio State. I'm not going to lie about my team. I love my team, but I'm not going to lie about my team. And I just want my team to give me enjoyment. And I think that's the part where Pelicans fans stop worrying about other people validating your basketball love. Don't worry about people caring about your team the way you care about it. Nobody is going to, it's like your kid or your favorite food or whatever. Nobody's going to love it the way you do. So just love it. So just love it. Be honest about it. Enjoy it to the best of your ability. And I think that's where Pelican fans are starting to mature in that way to where they are getting less defensive and more offensive about, look, we're, we're fucking Pelicans fans. We know we don't have any championships. We know we ain't got no banners. So we like watching our team. And fuck you if you don't like it. And I, I hate to say it that way, but that's the way you got to be. And I think more and more Pelicans fans are getting that way. And I think that's a good thing. I think the team helps on that point. Not just because of the fact that this group of guys is lovable. Yeah. Um, I mean, because they are. Uh, man. We, we were talking before we started about how much like your daughter, you know, just immediately ab- about you, you watch Jose and it's just it's electric. That dude just checks into the game and it's just electric. But I mean, this team is this team makes watching basketball fun. This is the most fun that I can remember having as a Pelicans fan outside of, you know, the run-up to the 2018 playoffs and then the playoffs. Um, and, and, and a lot of that attitude also, I think, comes from the organization because the organization in general and, and the players on it, they're like, we're going to do us. And for the past, what, five months, they've been, I mean, they've been good. I mean, yeah, like – borderline 500 but i was you know doing the stats numbers and stuff they're borderline top 10 on both ends of the floor over the last 60 plus games that's yeah. that's not a fluke that's not some oh the last 18 games of the season we had a record of like 13 and whatever and if we can stretch that out to next season look at how great we can be and all the stuff that we used to try to tell ourselves about the pelicans um at the end of the season when they would keep on trying hard and they would rack up some wins when they were completely out of the race. That's not what this is. No. I mean, they're they're thirty one and thirty one over their last sixty two games. Like that, at some point, that that stops being a fluke. And they've done that despite you know bad injury luck, despite the fact that the Pelicans haven't been shooting the ball lights out behind the arc over that stretch. Despite the fact it's not like their opponents have been shooting terribly over that stretch like they don't have shooting luck that's despite making that their happen youth, despite the Just, <laughs> all those exactly things. yeah you look at all of those things um and 
they've gone through like 13 or 14 different starting lineups. They're going through a, a different starting lineup every four games, essentially, over the last 60 games. And they're still playing 500. Um, and, you know, you, you, you have to ignore the rest of the national media at this point because they just look at the overall record. And, I mean, at, at this point as Pelicans fans, we can, you can just divide it out. There's, there's the first 13 games, which were awful. And B.I. was out and Willie Green was a brand new head coach. And, you know, Herb we're trying to get little, and, and Herb isn't in a starter and everybody's just trying to get their legs and figure out what's going on. And then there's the other 62 games. And clearly they've shown that the, that the 62 game sample that we're looking at, that's the team. And you look at everything that's gone on and you think they can be that or more. And, and that's the baseline now. And, and that you just, you just loved it. it. It was just wonderful being in the arena on Saturday, even in a loss when, um, when Trey um, knocked down the three pointer and they call that technical foul on, on Jose Alvarado for passing the ball to the ref when it came through the rim, like initially right after that thing, like, the arena was ready to lift off the ground and everyone was standing up. And I haven't been in the arena and felt that since, since 2018. Yeah. All right, guys, well, let's get to the questions. Um, we'll start with, all right. Uh, I think this is one that we, you can all answer. Uh, it's so just give me the number and uh, fish. I'll let you start with this one. Cause this is actually one that you, again, this is, Right down your alley is something you've tweeted about. From a scale on a scale of one to ten, how surprised are you that the Pelicans' best eight includes three rookies and a 2019 draftee not named Zion? Very surprised. Give me a number, so one to ten. See, ten. you always do this. I give you the ten. <laughs> ten. No, very simple. Ten. I thought that Herb Jones was going to spend a lot of his time in Birmingham this year and he he grabbed a starting starting slot right from the get-go and then Jose has been a complete revelation a 10. Ollie? Yeah 10 for all the reasons that Fish just listed none of us saw this coming we thought Trey Murphy would play right right Herb would spend half of the year in Birmingham and Jose probably the entire year if not get waived and they would have replaced him with another two-way contract or a veteran. We thought might, he might be just dropping yeah. a veteran point guard at some point. Kevin? Yeah, I mean, I'm in agreement with that. I'd say the only thing is, as you guys know, because of my job, I was around Jose a little bit when he first arrived. So I saw, like, you know, real dudes coming to hang out with him. So I was like, who is this guy? You know, he's got something. But I still didn't expect him, obviously, to be what he is now. But, um, yeah, the, you know, I, I definitely say attend. And especially, you know, that, that includes – seeing a lot of growth uh, from Jackson on the court as well, who's a guy that, you know, I was down on a lot of his career so far. I mean, he still has a lot of things he's got to fix, but since being moved to the four and playing a lot of minutes with Jose, he's, you know, become a very uh, successful offensive player on the court. And and some nights he's a solid defender as well. So um, all of that combined, you, I mean, I think you got to go with a 10, not a nine or a 10. If this is your first time listening to Kevin, that level of praise for Jackson Hayes is the equivalent of what Fisher, how Fisher normally talks about Larry Nance. Uh, 
<laughs> like yeah. to to squeeze that out of me or Kevin to say that that Jax could like he didn't say one backhanded thing. That was oh. about as as good as it gets on that one. Um, Ali, I'll let you do this one because you were there for all three of these. Uh, the level of officiating, and you've been at every you know you've been at just about every home game. So the level of officiating this year, that's always a big question for folks. Um, and and this year, I would say this is one of the years that I've noticed that it does just feel really weird. Like there are a lot of times where I've been like, mm, I think, you know, fans are being too fanish on these. But this year, it, it, it it's it's odd to be officiating. It is. And it hasn't gotten better. Look at Herb Jones. He's still not getting any respect. He's getting called for touch fouls where there's li- very little phys- physicality on a play. The the play that comes to mind most recently is Keldon Johnson on the uh, yeah, Keldon Johnson on the drive, and kind of actually caught Herb in the face with an elbow, but never mind that, right? And uh, then fell down. Herb didn't assist him to the ground whatsoever, but he got whistled for the foul. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of head scratching calls still being made. The technical uh, and. and, and and now, yeah, I was getting to that. And plus, right, the technicals where, boy, if Jose Alvarado maybe doesn't get whistled for that uh, dead ball, uh, for, for touching the uh, the ball after it had gone through the hoop, just just handing it right to the referee. And, and it, he literally had it for maybe a split second. Maybe maybe that extra point, that, that looms larger, right, in the finish of the game. So to make suddenly these calls against the Pelicans that are honestly just crazy, I mean, Trey Murphy getting called for a technical foul because he simply just looked. He didn't like squint hard, didn't like super glare. Like He didn't do the you're too chest. small. None, none of that. And yet LeBron, as Fish mentioned, we all know this, he's always taunting after a, a, you know, a big dunk or a big play or something like that. So it, it just blows my mind. And it goes to the point that I think, what was it? Somebody wrote and checked out on which referees referee which game. I think it was Tom Haberstroh. Haberstrow, right? He he dissected which uh, referees and their experience levels uh, referee which game, and it seemed like the Pelicans are getting stuck with either ones that are more inexperienced and towards the bottom rung in terms of you know whatever evaluation grades. But either way, something is wrong. Something is showing up, and I just want to stop. Right? Just Earth call it flagrant two. Oh, Earth flagrant two may have been the worst. Flagrant oh yeah, yeah, yeah! I forgot to mention that. Yeah, and I don't, you know, I don't embellish. That was a basketball move. He, he I no mean, he caught him in the head. He did. He caught him. Yeah, exactly. But he so was flag- not yeah. swinging that. Elbow. Yeah, it's a flagrant one. That's an easy call. Move on. Yeah. That honestly, of of all the things, because Jose's um, delay a game technical foul is only a warning if they don't call a delay a game warning. When Larry Nance makes grabs an offensive rebound, puts the ball through the hoop, has spurs on both sides of him, tries to run down the court, mm-hmm. and the ball, as it comes through the rim, grazes his shoulder. That's mm-hmm. all that happened. That was all that was there. And they called a delay, delay a game warning on that, which is ridiculous because that happens so all the time. And it's so rarely called. Like the delay and they of decided that they were going to so call the second done. one and a technical with one minute and 45 seconds to go in a one-possession game. That's I, offensive. I just feel like the season has been like one big like 
tribute to Joey Crawford when it comes to (laughs) I mean you just see these calls like not just in Pelicans games you know I don't get to watch a lot of other basketball games but when I do there's always like at least four calls in a game that I'm like how you know like even as even when it's two teams that I don't care who wins uh you know because I do have teams that I obviously cheer for in different situations but like sometimes I'll be watching a game it's just two teams that I think are pretty cool playing I don't really care who wins and it's like there's four calls in the game that I'm just like how did you call that you know and it just seems like so bizarre it's like they're either the refs are either really bad at their jobs or really good at their jobs if you know what I mean you know mm-hmm. yeah the NBA's got to do something it's it's gotten to the point where it's like you feel like there's a Tim Donaghy on every crew yeah yeah and the thing and, was I, mean, I gotta bring it up being... go ahead Ollie yeah, I was just gonna say, and I got to bring up the fact that it seems like when we get certain referees that do the Pelicans games, you know, it's going to be a bad mm-hmm. um, officiating day for the Pelicans. The Mark one that comes Davis. to mind, Jenna Mark Schroeder, Davis. right? The blonde referee that Fish and I and the rest of us we know. She wasn't she the one that was responsible for throwing like three technicals in a quarter, right? Josh got one in, got thrown out. Jackson picked up one. Well, yeah, against the Thunder, was wrong, it was against the Thunder, right? The Pelicans had a homestand then, and they yep. did, those same refs did like three straight games yeah, before they moved yeah. on, and all of them were very poorly officiated. And whenever they referee right, I watch closely, and, and it sure enough, they don't do a good job. It, it, it's a, it's a head scratcher. And, and so the thing I was trying to jump in on really quickly is it's wild because the first month and a half of the season when they were essentially, they were like, we're going to let a bunch of stuff go mm-hmm. and we're just going to play. Mm-hmm. When they were calling it like that, even when the Pelicans were doing extremely poorly in terms of record-wise, we were talking numerous times on Twitter and you know in our group chat and stuff that we really like how the officials are calling the game. Mm-hmm. Like multiple times we were like, you know, stuff's not going the Pelicans' way, but it feels like it's consistent because they're like, we're not going to call all the ticky-tack stuff. And it was either StatMuse or Nylon Calculus or one of those websites, and they they calculated that the rate of free throw attempts has increased more since, like, December to now than it has in any other period in in the NBA since, like, 2003. Um, yeah, because you see yeah. how Harden and Embiid both jumped. Harden was struggling to get to the line, and now he's mm-hmm. back top three in attempts. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like the, the grifting has returned, and th- that's that's the one thing you would say about the Pelicans is that none of those guys are hunting fouls. They don't really have them. a guy. I think out of, of, of the offensive skill set, CJ's the only one really built to do that. Yeah. You know well, what I mean? B.I. Mean, could, but B.I. He could, but he's so lanky. Yeah. Well, it's, he could, they just don't call fouls for him. Like, Yeah, I'm, really I'm with fast. Kevin. Like, he just doesn't get the calls. Like, uh, It's just crazy. But C.J., because of his reputation and mm-hmm. because of his bag and because of his size, mm-hmm. uh, I, I mean, he's more likely to get more calls, but B.I. gets brutalized. B.I. gets hit three times on three possessions in a row. You understand one missed one, right? But not three to where he's yeah. even yelling at the officials, something we've never seen before. Yeah, it's outrageous. B.I. just doesn't get that consistent whistle. There, there, there was a funny part in the San Antonio game where C.J., uh, it was in the first half because they were coming towards our end. Um, and C.J. went up, and they didn't call it. 
And he just stood there on the baseline and he didn't get back right away. And he just stared at the official. He didn't say a word. He just stared at him. And then he ran back and he picked up that um, three point foul where mm-hmm. he, he, he got into the body. And then he was staring at another official. The next trip down, he's going to the foul line for some essentially like some ticky tack stuff. Yeah, and like I, I could say, that. like the Pelicans are getting a ticky tack. Like that was like, but CJ essentially was like, I'm going to make you, I'm going to make you call this. I'm going to go shoot free throws. And, and the, uh, the officials made that happen. And BI really doesn't, for whatever reason, BI does, BI does not get officiated in the same way as players of, of his uh, ability and tier in the NBA get officiated. And Herb Jones does not get any kind of respect that, your typical like he doesn't get the calls that like Matisse Thibel gets he's not allowed to get that physical with guys mm-hmm. um and if eventually it gets to that point Herb Jones is like he's already a menace but it's going to be absurd once he gets just a reasonable amount of benefit of the doubt from the officials okay well, let's move on to the next one I'll give I'll, I'll do this one because I answered it kind of on Twitter today so I'm gonna just go through it real quick and is CJ more valuable than Drew? And um, my reasoning, and I said yes, but this is the reasoning why is that CJ, again, does not shy away from the responsibility of being a lead guard. And Drew could only do that on occasion. Mm-hmm. He had to dial that up. He had to find that. And a lot of times he didn't um, as the number one guy. CJ can be your number one guy legitimately you put the ball in his hands and say take care of us tonight and he will do that and he won't go away from it yes drew is by far the better defender um yeah drew is an all nba defender i no one is ever going to doubt drew's intensity his ability but like i i think we talked about this before when drew was here drew was a shutdown corner on a really bad defense and that doesn't really matter a whole lot yeah cj lifted the floor and he lifts the ceiling for your team. I would say, mm-hmm. too, like one of the things that we've always said is this team needed a leader, and mm-hmm. Drew and AD were not leaders. And no. so CJ is a leader. And so because of that, even though he's not the defender that Drew is, he's like three times the offensive player in terms of consistency of and where he can score from because Drew was great at getting to the rim had a nice little mid-range game, but he was never a good three-point shooter. Um, and But CJ could score from every level, can create so well for himself, can create his own shot so well. I mean, Drew was a good isolation player too, uh, but you're not going to see CJ dribbling the ball off his foot. You know, you're not going to see those mental lapses. The missed layups. Weird adjustment periods. But the main thing that CJ brings. Well, Drew is, relied on his athleticism, right? Speed and athleticism and strength. That's where CJ uses his mind, right? Watches the opponent's craft, stuff like that. And there's a different level yeah. of confidence with yeah. CJ. Yeah, like, he has a nasty. It's yeah. just nasty. Like, like some of the stuff he does is just boss. disgusting. He and knows he's he cold. Carry a team is that the, the other thing? Like you can just be like, okay, CJ, this is your night. We need you to get thirty-five. And the other thing is, if CJ scores twenty in the first half, he's not scoring just five in the second half, which was always Drew's problem. You know, he would have that hot start and then just disappear in the second half. CJ's gonna light you up the whole game. CJ yeah, could legitimately give right you with a Drew's forty career. or fifty. Yeah, sorry, I was just saying Drew's not that guy, and I, I wish that we we. I know we're not p- pigeonholing like that, but. We saw where his best fit is, and 
of course it's Milwaukee, but remember the Olympics? You put him with legitimate scores, man, he shines. Right? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Leaders that's, in, what, yeah. that's what this question is. So, basically. yeah, I know. So it's like it's hard to choose because, honestly, it comes down to who you surround them both guys with, right? That's almost the answer. Though. Well, for this team, Drew's yeah, value was right. Yeah, you're yeah. right, David. For this and team. no matter what in New Orleans, Drew's value was always going to be as a secondary guy. Yeah. And well, CJ think- is a legitimate co-lead. You know what I mean? Like you, you may yeah. not want to have CJ be your best player for 82 games, but if he has to be your best player for 35 games, okay. You know what I mean? Like there can be 35 nights where he's the best scorer and the best distributor on a team. And you're going to feel good about that when you have Brandon Ingram in his, but you couldn't get 35 games. So you said, Drew, please carry us for 35 games, carry us for 35 fourth quarters over the course of a season. Drew could never have done that. And that, that is, but that's not an insult to Drew. That's not like right. I'm going to say, don't put Drew's yeah, jersey at the top at. of the yeah. Smoothie Kings in it. I mean, I also, going back to Ollie's point is like, I, I think like CJ, you could put him with multitudes of different types of dudes around him and he'd be solid. Whereas Drew needs to kind of have the right fit to really shine. Is, yeah. You know, so that yeah also, I agree with that. Yeah. CJ would have been good on the 2017-18 team. You know what oh. I mean? Like if he had been on the Pelicans, they would yeah. have been just fine. But I think if you reversed it, you know, and, and Drew was on this team now, no, they're not doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I think that that to me is I think, yeah, CJ's the more plug and play guy where I can put him in with any group of players, like Kevin said. And I feel confident that he's gonna adjust and they're gonna adjust to him because he's gonna make their game easy, make the game easier for them. All he right. just processes better, you know. Yeah, he does. He does. And he doesn't have those, yeah, he doesn't have the brain fart moments where I don't know what happened, I have to check the film. He, CJ sees happens. He knows what happens. Um, Ollie, this one, I'm going to give this one to you. Uh, does the Pels finish impact what their goals are in the offseason? No. I mean, I guess the question is how far they get in the playing terms, stuff like that, right? I mean, Look, I, I think the reasonable finish here, I would imagine that this question is like, let's say if they get into playoffs, does it change how they view Zion? Does it change how they view some no, of these yeah. guys on the that's roster? What, yeah, that's what I figured. Yeah, definitely not. I mean, Fish already laid it out. We've known this. You scratch out those first six weeks. That's the aberration. We've seen what this team is, and we see how it's improving, and it's going to continue to improve because the main pieces haven't played that many men together. The young guys are growing. They're 11 deep right now without Zion Williamson. Um, there's no obvious holes, but there are certain things you can shore up, but absolutely not. Whatever happens over these remaining seven regular season games and playing tournament is going to carry zero weight for me on how David Griffin should approach, you know, this summer's plans on what to do with the roster. The one question and that we all acknowledge, and I, unless I'm wrong, is you have the, it's Zion. Zion is the one question. Does right. he want to be here or not? And it, and I'm not answering that question. I'm not saying he does or he doesn't. He seems yeah, to be engaged. We've talked about this to death, right? We, yeah, Fish, we've done Fish, I think, was the first one saying it. You put the piece of paper in front of him and what you think is a fair offer. If he signs an extension, great. If not, well, plan B. That's the only question. Everything else will come from that. Like, you know, that Here's that, a better question. What if, what if, it's a, if Griff says, okay, prove it to me like he did with Brandon Ingram? How do you feel about that scenario with Zion? He won't do – no one's going to do you, that. You think Zion's – that's going to be a slap in the face of he and his family and they're definitely gone? If the Pelicans are going to do that, to me it just seems like what you're doing then 
is you're making you're you're making this battle even more public because there is some battle going on here Definitely. and it it needs to stop being fought in the public yeah, but so I would say it wouldn't go away it. even if he signs a contract. No, that would be you, my. You have to resolve it. it. You have to resolve it and get that understanding. It has to be the come to Jesus meeting, and you just got to get it all on the table. Whatever Zion's beef is, whatever Griff's beef is, whatever whose misunderstanding it is, it has to be resolved. One of them got to go. Both of them got to go. Something got to, or they got to figure out how to work together. But there has to be a resolution this but summer. But does it have to be completely be copacetic? Do we have to reach a certain level to where his family and Griff or whatever the issue is are that eye to eye? I don't think they Not need to get them, there. but you need to be on the same page as like Zion has to say, I want to play for Willie and this yep. team. He didn't got to like know? Griff, How do we but he's got to he say I'm committed to this. How, I don't know. That's yeah. what I'm saying. I can't yeah. answer that question. But yeah. he's not going to answer that question right now. No, I don't think no. that it's. He's. I don't think he's because the contract hasn't been put in front of him. So that business. But the part thing is that I think. Yet. I think you could say that the Pelicans are going to be in a position that if they do well, um, mm-hmm. without him, then mm-hmm. when the Pelicans put the paper in front of him in July, mm-hmm. it's a situation where it's like, for uh, I mean, he's like. Am I really going to, is the grass really greener? Because this grass right here looks really damn freaking green. And then the other thing about, and then, and then the other thing is, is that the Pelicans, the Pelicans aren't the ones answering the question. They just have to ask it. Right. Like the the answer, the answer does not come from the Pelicans. And, and so it, it comes from Zion. And until we have his answer, we know what the question is. And, we can stop asking it because mm-hmm. none of us are answering it. The Pelicans aren't answering it. Zion's going to answer it and he'll have the opportunity to do that. And the, all the Pelicans can do at this point is um, because they're, they're not waiting for a savior. They're not, they're not waiting for a white knight. Go win games because mm-hmm. winning, winning will solve everything. Win, win, winning, winning solves everything. And they've shown that the, that the very least it is and that they are willing to do what they have to do, that they are, they have mentally gotten to the place where they are not waiting. Like you said, they're not waiting for a savior. They're not counting on Zion to be that for them. He can be a part of this. And I think that's the ultimately how it's presented is it's going to be like, dude, you can be a part of this and we'll embrace you. We'll love you. And you can, and it'll be great. Or you, or you don't have to, and we'll be okay. And I think that that's the biggest thing is that for the first time, this franchise is in a position with its star, it with one of its stars anyway, to say, you know what? We can you're be okay. Not, you're not well, holding us hostage. You weren't in that position with Anthony Davis. You weren't in that position with Drew Holiday. You weren't even in that position with Chris Paul, though it wasn't of Chris Paul's making. But with Zion Williamson, at this point in time, you're in a position to say, we can be okay. We can be you, made right. me miss, you made me miss Josh Hart just a little bit more because he was the first one, right, to say that. Right. Really put that out there, yeah, yeah. But just keep wishing that. that into existence, man. You put him on this. That, that's my next project, man. <laughs> that's it has what to I was happen. Say is is like you're, we're not lying to ourselves anymore when we say if he's gone, it doesn't matter. Like there's no there's no really lull in like you know with Anthony Davis going away, we knew we were going to get a nice return for him, but we also knew that it was going to take a while to build something from that. Whereas now there's something built. So either 
he's in and that gets taken to a level that can be uh, contender worthy because you add a talent like that to what's already here. And if it works right, then you're looking at a legitimate title contender. Mm-hmm. But if he's not on board, you move on from him, you're going to get some pieces, but you have a team that we, I mean, like we just spent uh, about an hour or maybe more already talk how much we love this team and the foundation that's here and how they're playing. And we see the growth and you see what they've done over the last 60 games that you can see that whatever that return gets added in to pepper in the small, the, the little holes that we need to fill, then you still have a great team that's going to not necessarily contend for a title, but it's going to contend for a second round exit, maybe, you know? Um, And, you know, for me as a fan, that's, that's uh, worth it. If everybody's all bought in and happy and we have this vibe around the team that we have now. So I do think it's very important in the off season for them to sit down and figure that out. And uh, because I don't want to have what we have right now hindered by this cloud hanging over the team well what's he going to do is he in is he out you know I think that needs to be resolved in the offseason and that's that's always been my opinion you know so um, we'll see but you know like I said we're not lying to ourselves anymore that we're good with you or we're good without you obviously we'd love to have you but if you don't want to be here then uh, we'll be in fine shape Fish obviously um, you know with Jose signing they had to let go uh, player for the roster, and um, they still have a two-way spot. But at this stage, do you see the Pelicans signing a two-way player at this part of the season? Um, if they can get somebody that wants to come in, um, maybe somebody um, from from Birmingham, possibly. But the thing is, is that you look at their you look at their injury report, and the Pelicans are going to say we're dressing thirteen, like. Yeah. Um, they're, they're dressing 14 because Clark's still there. Mm-hmm. Um, so the yeah. only two guys that are out, out are Zion and Kyra. So, I mean, we've got yep. 14 available bodies. We, we have, we have plenty of people here that we can practice. The Pelicans don't have another back to back until the very last two games of the season on April 9th and 10th. Um, and who knows what the season will be then. Now um, it might be a nice thing that they would do where they would give um, the guy that they initially had on a second, uh, a a two-way contract, Dalton Holmes, who I believe he is still in Birmingham. Now they could give him a two-way or somebody else that's, you know, been, they can give um, Jared Harper a two-way who came up and he played well in his very brief stint. um, I like Harper too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I mean, in terms of like, we need somebody to come log minutes right now. They're, they're not in that situation. And I was really glad, you know, when the details came out that, I mean, they're forking over a lot to Jose this year um, to recognize what he's done. But then after that, um, it sounds like he's at the minimum. Yeah. It's um, a very reasonable deal. Mm-hmm. So I was I'm not to dive too far into salary numbers or anything like that. The MLE next year is a little over $10 million. The Pelicans for about $10 million next year are going to have Trey Murphy, Willie Hernan Gomez, Herb Jones, Najee Marshall, and Jose Alvarado. All five of those guys. All five of them at some point this season have been rotation players. And, and if you all can five move of those Devontae Graham. <laughs> yeah, all five of those guys will cost less than Devontae Graham. One Devontae Graham. <sighs> Devontae had one night. He had one shining moment. 
uh, <laughs> against the Bulls and went right back to being the same Devontae. Don't bring it down. Don't bring it down. Yeah, right, we're not going to this. We've been having such a good yeah. We're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. When are we going to talk about going to, in the post? I know somebody asked about that. That's the final one, and I'm going to go to that one. Uh, the, the the next to last one. Let's just go through the, the the next four games, folks. Just asked about that. Which teams could give us the most problem? The Pelicans the most problems over the next four. You go on this road trip starting on Wednesday. Portland, Lakers, Clippers, Sacramento. Up uh, and, and in that group, look. Sacramento is always weird for the Pelicans. I, yeah. I, I that is always the game. No matter where they play, Sacramento. It doesn't matter who's on the roster and that team. The way that they're built now, for some reason, is, is there are nights when they are a problem for people. I don't think the Clippers are going to be healthy. The Lakers, there's no fear of the Lakers at this point. And Portland have, will have no one playing. So I think, to me, it's always Sacramento. Guys? The only, re- the only thing I'll counter that with is if the Lakers uh, have Anthony Davis back and LeBron James is good to go despite his ankle. That well, would, he had, you he know. had to get his ankle amputated. You didn't hear that at the. <laughs> oh man, the we were laughing. About, the one ahead, thing Christian. about the one thing about the Lakers game is actually the Lakers have to play the night before in Utah, fly into Los Angeles that night, and then play play the Pelicans the following day. Um, so there's going to be some some tired legs there. Nah, that's um, another it might be for LeBron, dude. Come on. <laughs> well, th- that's the other thing is, is that, you know, are Anthony Davis and LeBron James going to rest on the road so that they can both play at home against the Pelicans in a right. game that might matter? Or right. do they both rest? And then the, you know, the Lakers, um, I can't remember who they're playing er- earlier this week, but there's, there's a possibility that the Lakers will already be in 11th by the time the Pelicans and Lakers play again on Friday. So um, they might be in a situation like tanking doesn't make sense to them because the Pelicans own the pick, but um, they might be in a situation where we're not tanking, but at the same time, why are we putting these miles? Why why are we putting these miles on this 37 year old man? Start vacation, you know, I mean, their body language, you know, is, if 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 they're in eleventh by the time they play us again, there's a good chance they're going to just start. They're going to start quitting. Yeah, I mean, those, there are guys out there who just don't. They've been around the league too long to give a shit. Like you're not going to make guys who have really been in the playoffs care when they're in eleventh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're Dwight old. Howard, Russell Westbrook. Yeah, yeah there's a bunch. They, they, like, look, you already saw what Russ was doing in the game. Like it, it's Carmelo was checked out, and you know I love yeah. him. Melo is checked out. He's t- they're tired of it. It's been so bad. This is not what they signed up for. And LeBron is doing this is about LeBron now. That's what this is literally about for the Lakers. And I know we ain't supposed to be talking about the Lakers that much, but that's what to me, that's what this is about. This is about LeBron and them either trying to decide if they want him to get more numbers before they go into next year and see if he can break Kareem's record or try to get him MVP votes, but he's not going to win the MVP. No he needs what three more games to get this uh, be eligible for the scoring title this year? I think I heard that. Somewhere yeah, about. that's that's the whole thing. Is they want to just give him some stats, and they yeah. oh, he's thirty seven. He almost, won. but you're, they're they're inflated numbers, and they mean nothing because you're not impacting winning. Um, and because he's just not even getting back on defense. No, he's not even trying. court, the first possession of uh, yeah, Herb Jones. I even include that in the recap because that astounded me. 
course it didn't last. <laughs> well, here's... He, was doing, he was playing performative defense to start the game. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the so final good. question was from our old Chris Connor, who asked, since Fish and I are both taller, I guess, people, <laughs> um, what were our go-to post moves? I had no go-to post moves. I was an active big. My job was to block shots, rebound, and hurt people. I had fouls. Coach told me to use them. I, you know, so <laughs> I, I could. I had a decent turnaround jump shot, and I have a, a. I had a decent jump hook, but they didn't feed me. I was not the guy who got fed the post. I I was I was fortunate enough. I got fed a bit, um, and at the time when I was a child, Hakeem Olajuwon, um, the Rockets. So left block, fading away to the baseline, man. I, I practiced it from the time I was in sixth grade on. That thing was money. I just, I just, yeah, I was offensive rebounds. You know, that's where I got my points were on putbacks and that stuff. And that's what I loved because my idols were, I wanted to be Charles Oakley. So, like, Oak, Oak didn't have post moves. So, Oak just hurt people and rebounded and, and did stuff like that. So, I was like, well, that's what I'll do. When I realized I wasn't going to grow to be 7'1", I said, let me try to be Charles Oakley. I can do that. And that's, again, because I just, I loved Oak and I wanted to be that guy for my team. Um, but guys, I think we covered a lot. Again, I, I think it's optimistic about this, this upcoming road trip. Like, uh, three and one, four and oh, both on the table, I would say. Um, the Pelicans have done so well against the Clippers this year. Even if Paul George comes back, the Pelicans have done, played, played the Clippers. I think, what, they haven't lost to the Clippers this year, have they? No, they've beat they've beat the Clippers three, with Paul George yeah. available and playing. Yeah, there's three. No, there's two blowouts, right? So, yeah, so it's, look, they've not lost to the Clippers. They've won the season series already with the Lakers at two and zero. They'll go to three and zero most likely. Portland again does has no one active for this game pretty much on Wednesday, no. and then Sacramento is just the one. It's the end of the road trip. It's Alvin. It's Sacramento. It's just how things go. The only one that I that that makes me worry is Sacramento because the news about that one is Rashawn Holmes ain't playing. And oh yeah, didn't they shut down Fox too? I thought I saw that today or yesterday. Am I wrong? Still Sacramento. I don't know. Everybody's getting everybody's getting shut down. But you know, Holmes and Fox are the two that always really eat us up. Yeah, and you never know there anymore. The getaway game on a road trip is always tough though too. Yeah. The guys are thinking about coming home. Huh. So and who I, knows? I, I got to throw this in there. Five hours ago, Jason Anderson, one of the beat writers for the Kings, said Alvin Gentry says he doesn't know if De'Aaron Fox or DeMontis Sabonis will play again this season. Mm. Yeah, that's there what I go. saw. That's what I saw that made me think. Well, there you that. go. Yeah, but there. But again, last last game. That's what I just. To me, it's just last game of road trips are always tricky. And it happens to be in Those Sacramento. are still NBA players, man. They're still yeah. NBA players suiting up, man. Yeah. <laughs> Dudes don't want to – I mean, they're guys who don't want to be embarrassed. They're, you know, and who will compete. And if the Pelicans are slipping that night, we know, again, that's just anybody. If you And they, their, their margin of error is still – it's wider than it was. It is wider than it was. It is no longer a razor's edge. But it's still – you know, they still have to be very good. Yeah, let's just hope there's no more rotation minutes where the, there's no JV, BI, or CJ on the court. That shit drives me crazy. I don't know why you don't it. always have one of them on the court. 
that makes yes. sense. We should have talked about that because that's a good point. Yeah, yeah we're that's talking about it now, too. We'll, we'll, we'll see um, what kind of happens this road trip, too, because I think both CJ and – I mean, because B.I. was coming back from an injury, and CJ and Jonas were both questionable – I'm going into Sunday. So I think there was some minutes massaging that was going on there. Um, yeah, that hopefully that a couple days off and everything will, will to me, get to that point. To me, it's like you go when you get to Portland, that's a game you've got to come out. You've had two days off. You come out in Portland. You try to beat the shit out of them early so yep. that you can rest for the Lakers. You know, that you, they, even though they're coming on the – because it's going to be emotional again. It's, no, it, it's always going to be emotional. Because B.I. gets emotional about it. C.J.'s going to get emotional because he knows about, you know, it's that stage. It's L.A. It just, it is what it is. It'll be emotional. And you got to get up for it. So you want to be rested. You want Jackson to be able to get some rest. You want all these guys to be able to get some rest in that Portland game. Let the bench do its job. And then to be able to come back, get the Lakers. That's another team you want to be done by the third quarter because the the Clippers are going to make you work. Whether Paul George is there or not, Ty Lue is going to have those guys making you work. Mm-hmm. And that'll be to me. That's the most difficult game of the series uh, of that four game set. Is the, that Clippers game? It doesn't matter who the Clippers have on the floor; they're going to compete for forty eight minutes. So, kick Portland's ass quick. Go up there, just beat them, and be done with it. Don't mess around with your food. Eat it. Keep moving on. But there you go. Set the tone for the whole trip right there. Just and it's for CJ thing. too. CJ yeah. going home, you know, to, to, the, the, the arena will be lit up for him. There will be people excited for him. Yeah. Josh will be in the building even if he's not playing. So I think, you know, it's going to be kind of – they're going to be hyped up. They're going to be want to perform in front of their guy too. You know, and Larry's going to show – but he didn't is, get to show when he was there. I'm most curious to see if Josh is going to be sitting on the Pelicans bench, man, for that game. <laughs> I was going to say – Sitting in the stands. We're going to have Nikhil sit next to him in the stands. <laughs> Wearing a Brandon Ingram jersey. <laughs> I'm gonna make that happen. <laughs> you have the power, fish. Uh, guys, any last words you, you want to get in before we go? Yeah, not me. We 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 nah, said enough. All right, this is another good one. Um, so thank you for listening. You know how to reach us. You know you follow us at the thebirdrights.com. You go us on go on Twitter at thebirdrights and at thebirdcalls uh, no. Um, Kev, at uh, Kevin B for bounce at uh, fish do yours uh, just fish, do yours. fish <laughs> underscore TBW yes fish TBW and um, Ali Cosell and DM Grub that's how you can keep up with all of us and thank you so much again um, for me Ali and fish who were there on Saturday it was an honor to meet the folks who did come up to us and respect what we do the other folks in the Pelicans media community who came up and talked to us and we got to, you know, swap stories with and everything. It, it, it was, it's our pleasure to be a part of this. It is our joy to be a part of this. We do this because we love it. And so just to give another thank you for y'all for listening and supporting what we do um, here, whether it's for fun, whether it's for what we do as our passion and our careers, um, get the fans, the listeners, y'all have been here with us and we thank you for that. Uh, so until the next time, this has been the bird calls, and in the words of our friend, Preston Ellis. Let's go.
you for listening to the Bird Calls on the Armchair All-American Network. If you like what you're hearing, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes, retweet, share with your friends, and most importantly, subscribe today. Today's episode of the Bird Calls is brought to you by Sports Drink, your digital water cooler. Sports Drink is a newly created internet community that tries to find the intersection of sports and not sports. They're here to help us grow and to hate your favorite team. A rising tide lifts all boats, so go check them out online or social. Go to sportsdrink.org or open Instagram and type in sportsdrink, spelled like sportsdrink but without the vowels. All we ask is that you close the door behind you. We're trying not to let the funk out.